Well, good morning, church. Wow, that's exciting. Good morning, church. There we go. Um, I'm glad some of you remembered to change your clocks and got here on time. How exciting. Um, come on in, find your seat. Well, actually, find it, but don't sit in it. Stand on up. We're going to worship our God today. Um, today, I am encouraged and blessed to be feeling restful in the Lord's house. Yeah, encouraged and blessed and at rest. Let's worship. Heavenly Father, we say thank you. Thank you for the joy that you bring. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Uh, Lord, right now we invite you to make yourself known. Uh, we, we choose to praise and to worship you, Lord. Yeah. Are you hurting and broken? 
have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no
heavens as your glory fills this place you alone deserve our praise know the name above all names be exalted now in the heavens as your glory fills this place you alone deserve our praise know the name above all names be exalted now in the heavens as your glory fills this place you alone deserve our praise know the name above all Jesus, you deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Jesus, you deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Jesus, you deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Jesus, you deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Jesus, you deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Jesus, you deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Psalm 24 says, lift up your heads, you gates be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? He is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he? He is the King of glory, the Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. We lift our heads to you. We open our hearts to you this morning. We welcome your presence here and we ask that you would accept our offering of praise to you this morning and that you would speak to us. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Please take a seat. Welcome to church. Welcome, Ride Baptist. Welcome, Ride Salvos. It's wonderful to see you here. And an especially warm welcome for Amanda and Greg, who have returned from Canada. It's great to have you back. And it's also Greg's birthday tomorrow. So happy birthday, Greg. 
Uh, now, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a, a prayer request or an encouragement for someone in the congregation, uh, you can fill out uh, our form through the QR code that is on the screen now. Uh, you can also update your details with that, and you can sign up for the church newsletter. Well, it's school holidays, so the kids are going to be in with us during the service this week and next week. Uh, youth will return on the 13th of October, and kids' ministries resume on the 15th of October. Uh, we're currently reassessing our core values uh, just to see if they, they still reflect who we are, and we'd love to hear your input on that. So there's a survey with a link in the newsletter. So if you uh, would, would be able to fill that out, that would be really helpful. Thank you. We have a new website, which is pretty exciting. Uh, a big thanks to Jared, who's put that together for us, and the website is up and running. So feel free to have a look at that, and um, yeah, it's all going. We have baptisms on the 15th of October, uh, which is in two weeks' time, and this is super exciting. I think we've got about 11 or 12 people who are already signed up to be baptised. If you'd like to be baptised, feel free to come and have a chat to myself or one of the pastors or your life group leader, and we can arrange for that. Uh, on the 19th of October, we're also hosting an event uh, run by Morling College on gender dysphoria, and uh, this is... Uh, I guess to help us with response, uh, with wisdom and faithfulness, uh, if there's people in your life who have gender dysphoria or are struggling with gender issues. Uh, it's a Mauling event, so if you want to come, you need to sign up through the Mauling College website, uh, and there's also a link on our website to do that. We have our AGM on the 22nd of October following the morning service. Uh, so that'll be at around 11, 11.30 on the 22nd of October. And there'll be information sent out to members uh, before then. Uh, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your provision for us. And uh, Lord, as we give our offerings, we pray that you would uh, bless uh, these funds, uh, that you would bless the hearts that are giving. And Lord, that you would grow your church and your kingdom. And Lord, as Tim comes to, to speak to us, uh, I pray that you would speak powerfully through him, uh, that you would anoint him by your spirit to bring the message to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to invite Sarah to come and bring the Bible reading. Thank you, Sarah. Morning, church. Today we'll be reading Esther chapter 4. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes, when Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathik, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathik went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, 
Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned in the king, uh, summoned by the king, has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the golden scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Well, hello. It is great to gather together and read God's Word. Thank you for that wonderful Bible reading. Um, and uh, let's dive into it. We're looking at the story of Esther. Now, I realized in our, uh, actually in our pastor's meeting last week on Monday, we get feedback from the sermon. So all of the pastors have to give each other one plus and one minus from the sermon, one thing they can work on. And one of my points from last week was you sort of expected that everyone knew the story of Esther, whereas there would have been someone there who might not know the story of Esther. And so uh, it would have been better to tell the story a little bit more in detail rather than just comment on it. So I'm going to do that now. I'm going to go back a little bit and we're going to recap because I'm trying to grow as a preacher and so I'm taking on board what uh, everyone says and uh, I think that was a really good point. So Esther and Mordecai are foreigners. They're foreigners living in the Persian Empire. This is around 480 BC. Um, so if you remember anything that happened in 481 BC, it's a little bit after that, and it's a little bit before things that happened in 479 BC. Um, so it's around 480 BC. Um, Esther and Mordecai are Jews. They've been um, displaced from their homeland generations before them. So not them personally, but their, probably their great-grandfather's generation were taken by King Nebuchadnezzar into exile into Babylon. But now the Babylonians have fallen and the Persians have taken over the empire. And so now they're in the Persian Empire in one of its capitals called the city of Susa. Susa was one of the five capitals of the Persian Empire. Um, I can tell you the other four if you, if you want to know after, uh, after the service. Um, Esther was forced to participate in a kind of beauty pageant, right? It was a, a sexualized beauty pageant, and she was selected to be the next queen of the Persian Empire. She clearly had favor with the people around her and with the king, 
And as we looked at last week, that favor was clearly from God. It was because the Lord was with her that he elevated her to this position of queen of the Persian Empire, the greatest empire in the world at that time. Mordecai, Esther's cousin, around this same time, stopped an assassination plot against the king. So Mordecai was a low-level government official. He was sitting at the gate of the city, which is where sort of parliament met, and he heard two people saying, let's go kill the king. He reported that, and then it was found out to be true, and those two guys were then executed, right? Because they were plotting to kill the king. Mordecai found it out. Now, Mordecai was not rewarded for that, and that was super bizarre. You see that in the story. Um, it, was, it was really bizarre that Mordecai was not rewarded for stopping an assassina- assassination plot against the king. And if you know Persian history, um, if you did something much smaller than that, you would be rewarded by being made a satrap over a huge part of land. You know, you know like the, the, the reward that Mordecai could have expected from stopping the assassination plot against the king was huge. It would be thousands and thousands of talents of silver. His life should have been made. He, he should have been basically living like a king after that moment, but he was not rewarded at all. It was a complete oversight. Instead, a guy called Haman is elevated to the position of the most important person in the Persian Empire under the king. And Haman is a bad guy. The king says everyone needs to bow down to Haman. Mordecai, Esther's cousin, doesn't bow down to him. He says, no, you're a bad dude. I'm not going to bow down to you. Um, And uh, then Haman gets super angry. He wants to get revenge on Mordecai. And, uh, and, but instead of just trying to kill Mordecai, what he does is he says, I'm going to kill his entire race. I'm going to conduct a genocide and kill all of the Jews in the entire Persian Empire. That'll be a great way to get back at Mordecai. And we sort of understand that Mordecai, you know, obviously was right in his character assessment of Haman and, and not bowing down to him, right? Because he was a pretty bad dude. Only bad dudes do stuff like that. So Haman decides to kill all the Jews... Um, And then he goes and asks the king for permission to do that, King Xerxes. And the king's, um, again, uh, presented as a bit of a weak fool because he doesn't even ask which people group do you want to kill. Haman just says, hey, let's kill this people group. They're a bad people group. And the king goes, yeah, whatever, and, uh, and allows him to do that. And so the king agrees. And that's the point where we pick up this morning, uh, reading chapter 4. This edict of the destruction of the Jews, the annihilation of the Jews, has gone out throughout the Persian Empire. They had an amazing postal system, by the way. That was was how the edict went out quite quickly throughout the whole empire. And uh, and all the Jews throughout the whole empire are weeping and wailing, and they're, they're realizing that they are going to be killed. They're going, to be, they're, they're, they're going to be destroyed, annihilated. So that's the moment we, we arrive at this morning. Um, remember that this is the salvation story of the Bible, right? So if Haman was successful in killing all the Jews, then there would be no Jesus, right? So you would not have a personal relationship with Jesus if Haman was successful, right? Because Jesus is a Jew. Jesus himself said salvation comes from the Jews. So this is not just Esther's story, and it's not just Mordecai's story, but it's your story as well. So this is of huge significance. This is uh, another exodus from Egypt. It's, it's, it's that level of significance. This is a massive and important story, and the main character is a girl called Esther. And why do I say she's the main character if Mordecai features so prominently? 
Um, she's the main character. We can see that in this chapter because she's the only character in the whole story, the whole book of Esther, that undergoes some form of character development. And that's what I want to draw your attention to this morning. At the start of the chapter, she is reluctant to risk her life to save her people. She's saying, no, 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 no. no. I'm not going to go into the king. I'm not allowed to do that. If I go into the king and, and try to stop this whole plot and try to rescue my people, if I do that, then I'll be executed. This is a great risk for me. I'm not interested in doing that. And then Mordecai convinces her to do it. And then she says, okay, I'll go. All right, that's the story that we're looking at today. That's chapter four. At the start, she's not interested in helping. At the end, she decides, no, I might as well just give it a go. <laughs> give it a go, right? So, so we actually see character development. We see a character arc. We see the, the inner character of Esther developing before our eyes. And that is something that's quite important in this story uh, because nobody else develops. Mordecai is always a wise guy in the story. He's just a wise kind of Gandalf figure on in the side. He's a nice, wise man. Um, the king is always a bit of a weak fool, malleable and influenced by the people around him. Um, so at the start, those are his, his nobles, his officials, his eunuchs. They're the ones who are influencing him. At the end of the book of Esther, it's Esther and Mordecai who are influencing the king. But he stays this weak king who's just influenced by the people around him. Haman is always a bad dude. Like, so that doesn't change. So the only person in the book of Esther whose character actually develops and changes is Esther. And that is a literary device to show us that she is the main character of the story. And that pivot that happens in her life, in her inner character, is happening in this moment in the story that we're looking at this morning. Um, think of the, the Hobbit. I mentioned Gandalf already. Uh, at the start of The Hobbit, Gandalf says to Bilbo Baggins, he says, you'll have a tale or two to tell when you come back. And Bilbo says, you can promise that I'll come back? And Gandalf says, no. And if you do, you will not be the same. Right, but that, that, that key line, you will not be the same. If you come back, you will not be the same. You will undergo an inner development as a person, right? That's, Bilbo is the main character in the story, and he goes through this change. Now, Esther does in our story. She, at the start of the story, at the end of the story, she's not the same. She undergoes this, this character development, and really, what, what, that's what we want to look at this morning. What is that development that she goes through because we are called to go through that same character development, that same character arc, that same inner change in, the, in our inner world, because we're on mission with Esther. So I want to jump into the passage, okay, and, uh, and look at what is it that, that influences Esther to go through a change so that she accepts her role in the mission of God in the world. And the reason I'm asking that is because it relates entirely to you and me and the mission of God through us and us finding our purpose and our calling in our lives in this same world. And the first point I want to say is rip your clothes or better yet, rip your heart. Have a look at verses 1 to 4. Um, do you want to jump back? When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress." 
Um, so what we see with Mordecai doing, which is quite interesting, is he rips his clothes, he puts on sackcloth, as in think of a Hessian sack, cut a hole in the top of it, cut holes for the arms, put that sack on, right? Imagine doing that. And then he goes out into the city and he wails. Ah! Right, out on the street. I just want to ask, have you ever done that? <laughs> Has anyone ever done that? Put, like ripped your clothes, either ripped your clothes or put on sackcloth, I don't mind, and gone outside and shouted really loudly. Anyone? Are you, you've done it. Without sackcloth. Oh, sack <laughs> Rip your clothes? No, without ripping the clothes. Just went out and wailed, really shouted really loudly. When you were grieving or there was something? No, just for fun. Just to express emotion. Wow, there you go. Oh, you've done it as well. The rugby league grand final is tonight. There may be some ripping of clothes then. Who are you going for in the rugby league grand final? I just can't go for Queensland. Do you know what I mean? I just like, it's just, as a New South Welshman, it is impossible to go for a, a Queensland team. I, the Bible verse that reminds me most of, um, of Queensland is, Oh Lord, how long will the wicked boast? How long will the wicked boast? Uh, so I just, that's just a, I'm just kidding. If you're a Queenslander, you're welcome here. You're welcome here, just like everyone else. Um, so Mordecai is normally a guy who's pretty chill, right? He's, he's normally pretty chill. He doesn't express a lot of emotion. But here he goes out into the city gates, and he's, uh, the, the city court, and he just starts wailing out loud. Um, why is that? Why is that? It's because he cares about the salvation of the Jewish people. He cares about them staying alive. And he cares, therefore, about the salvation of the world. Remembering that Mordecai is a biblical figure. He understands the promises of God, as we'll see. And he understands that it's through the Jews in the Old Testament that God is going to save the world. And so he understands that this threat of Haman, this plot of Haman, is a threat against God's light in the world, God's salvation for the nations. That he, Haman is trying to snuff out the light of God in the world. And Mordecai cares about that. He cares about it. Um, he models for us the right attitude towards the needs of others, an attitude of genuine concern and genuine care for the salvation of the world. I don't know if you're aware, but the world needs the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world needs the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says this in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Or in chapter 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Do you have the same heart as Paul has for his people? Do you have that same heart? for your people? Do you have that same heart for the people of Ride? Do you have that same heart for the people of Australia? Do you have that same heart for the people of the nations? This desire, this heartfelt burning desire, unceasing anguish, Paul says, that the nations would be saved. I remember one time getting a haircut and uh, it was... 
It was in Russia, it was a great haircut. It uh, cost me about 20 bucks, which is a lot for a haircut in Russia. Normally I used to pay about three or four dollars or something like that, which was amazing. Um, and I was sitting there in this, in this hairdresser, this salon, this, this one young man was cutting my hair. He took like an hour. I don't, I don't really get it why you have to spend more money to get a haircut that takes longer. I would spend more money for a haircut that takes shorter and uh, less money for a haircut that takes longer. Um, but I, you know, paid him 20 bucks. We, we, I sat there for an hour while he's cutting my hair. And the whole time I was thinking, we're in a conversation, and the whole time I was thinking, um, I, should, I should talk about spiritual things with this guy. I should bring up spiritual things. And, uh, and I wondered why I wasn't doing that. You know, we're having a conversation. I'm never going to see this guy again. And I'm thinking, I, I want to share my faith with him. Why am I not willing to do that? Why, why are the words not coming out of my mouth? And I was quite bothered by that. And towards the end of the conversation, I, I paid him the 20 bucks. And I said, oh, and thank you for this great haircut. You really blessed me. And he kind of looked at me funny. And I said, oh, you know, by blessed, I mean, the reason I say blessed is because I'm a Christian and you really blessed me. And he went, thanks. And then I walked out. And it was the most awkward form of evangelism I've ever done. And weak form. Awkward and weak. And it's funny because sometimes it's so easy. Sometimes it's so easy to, to share, my, share my faith. Remember sometimes, you know, the, the cashier saying, here's your change. And I said, keep the change. I've got so much in my life that God has blessed me with. I don't need the change. <laughs> He's given me eternal life, forgiveness through Jesus. Sometimes I've said that to the cashier. And then I'm, I'm like noticing myself doing this going, wow, I'm just like passionate about Jesus and free in talking about him. This is awesome. I love this. But then why is it with the haircut guy that I didn't, share my faith with him. And for me, I was walking home with this great new haircut, thinking about it, and I realized it was because I didn't care about his salvation. My theology hadn't woken up that morning. I wasn't aware of the fact that he needed to know Jesus. And, and, and even if I was aware of that, I actually just didn't really care if he knew Jesus or not. To be honest, that's what I noticed in my heart. I just didn't really care. Mordecai models for us this attitude of genuine concern for the people of the world. This genuine desire that they would be saved. And what I want to say to you is, I mean, Mordecai rips his clothes, right? But that's a, that's a symbol in the Bible of ripping your heart. The reason you rip your clothes is because your heart is already torn. Uh, in fact, in Joel, God says through the prophet Joel, rip your heart and not your clothes, Right? That, that's the, the goal is that our hearts would be torn, that, that we'd, we'd actually rip them ourselves. We'd go, God, I want to care for the things you care about. You might know this prayer from Robert Pierce, the founder of World Vision. He said, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. I believe that this morning there's an invitation for all of us in this passage that we would uh, we'd just pray. We'd say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm willing I'm willing to see the world like you see it. I'm willing to, to care for the salvation of the nations. I, I'm willing for you to break my heart for the things that break yours. Why don't you pray that with me this morning? The second thing I see that, that encourages us around the mission of God in our lives is, um, is uh, the, the, the second point is in, in verse 13 and 14. Remember the promises of God. The first thing, rip your clothes, or better yet, rip your heart. The second thing, remember the promises of God. Mordecai tells Esther that the salvation of the world does not depend on her. 
So this is verse 13 and 14. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Repeat after me. Will arise from another place. That was okay. Yeah, I'll give you about a five out of ten. Um, but you and your father's family will perish. Now, what Mordecai is saying is he's saying, I know that God will save the Jews. I know that Haman's plot will be unsuccessful. Now, I told you last week that God is never mentioned in the book of Esther explicitly. He's everywhere present behind the scenes. And this is one area where you can see that how does Mordecai know that relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. How is he sure that Haman's plot will not succeed? It must be because Mordecai knows the promises of God to Abraham, the promises of God to David, the promises of God through the prophets. Mordecai knows that God will save his people. God will fulfill his promises. Mordecai is telling Esther, with or without you. Like that great U2 song, with or without you. God will fulfill his promises with or without you. God will do this, Esther, with or without you. Jesus said to us, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus will build his church in the world with or without you. When you wake up at the end of history, you'll see that this has indeed taken place. Jesus has built his church and the gates of hell have not prevailed against it. John says in the book of Revelation that he saw the throne room and he saw people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation gathered around the throne of the Lamb and worshipping him. He's already seen it. He's already seen the ingathering of the nations into the throne room of God. And so we know that it is already true. It's already sure. God will fulfill his mission in the world with or without you. The only question is then, is your involvement in the process? Your involvement in the process. Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about whether we build in our lives. Whether we build with gold or whether we build with straw. And he says, right now it's not that clear, but the day will show. The day will show. The day that Jesus comes back will show. It'll make it plain how we have lived our life. And whether we've built with gold or with straw, whether we've built the kingdom of God in our lives or whether we've just focused on our own stories. One thing I love about the book of Esther is it is a Cinderella story. It's a Cinderella story, right? There's a poor girl, she's an orphan, she ends up the queen, right? It's a beautiful Cinderella story, but it doesn't end in the palace. It doesn't end with the glass slipper, right? Esther takes off her glass slippers and she puts on her combat boots, because Cinderella is not enough. The Cinderella story of getting into the palace is only the first two chapters. It's what happens after that that makes the story of Esther so compelling, where she actually agrees to the mission of God and her purpose and her calling in building the kingdom of God and saving the people of God. And so I want to ask you, are you still living your Cinderella story? Are you still trying to just find that glass slipper and get into the palace? Or are you willing to put on your combat boots and follow Esther, a much greater Cinderella than the Cinderella of Disney movies? A much greater hero, not just someone who ends up living in luxury, but who gets to that place and then realizes that she has got a purpose in her life. And it's not just her life. Friends, remember the promises of God. Jesus will build his church. God will gather the nations to worship him. 
The kingdom of God will come. The question is, will you be involved? I remember another time um, wanting to share my, share my faith with a guy. I was in a taxi. And I realized that a great prayer to pray when you're umming and ahhing about sharing your faith uh, is, Lord, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. To, to, to me, sometimes when I'm, I want to share my faith, I feel like this weird religious guy who sort of wants to talk about religion to people who don't really seem that interested. You know, that, that's sort of sometimes in my head how I feel. And I need to get out of that space into a space of realizing that, no, 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 I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God in the world. And I'm here to tell people about how it really is and so that they can be redeemed and reconciled with God the Father. And so I pray this prayer. I just pray, Lord, your kingdom come. And for me, that, that sort of wakes me up to the fact that the kingdom of God is coming like a freight train. <laughs> it's coming. It's not going to be denied. The kingdom of God is coming into the world and I get to be a part of it. And so one time I was sitting in a taxi and I, I was chatting to this guy and I said, Lord, your kingdom come. And then he asked me, oh yeah, where are you going? Where are you from? And you know, we're chatting away and I was coming from church and I was going home and I, and I got to share my testimony with him. And then at the end of sharing my testimony, just the story of how I became a Christian, I then said to him, what about you? And he goes, what about me? And I said, would you like that? It was the easiest form of evangelism I've ever used. <laughs> I told my story of how I got to know Jesus and I said, would you like that? He goes, would I like what? I said, would you like to have the experience that I had of coming to know God? And he goes, well, yeah, I guess. And I said, all right, I'll pray for you. And uh, led him in a prayer, giving his life to Jesus. So simple and so powerful, just realizing that, that, hey, God is with me in this. God is building his kingdom. Jesus is building his church. It's coming, and I get to be a part of it. I get to hook on, hook my little cart on to that freight train as it comes into the world. Um, remember the promises of God. I'm trying to work out where my other page went. I think, it, oh, there we go. I just didn't put it in bold. <laughs> Third thing I want to say, realize that God ha may have a specific purpose just for you. Realize that God may have a specific purpose just for you. In fact, I believe he does. Mordecai taunts Esther with a powerful maybe. Uh, this is... Uh, uh, Verse 14b, the next part of verse 14, it's going to come up here. And who knows, but that you, were, you have come to the, your royal position for such a time as this. I love how Mordecai asked it as a question. Who knows? He's saying, maybe, maybe you're in the palace for this reason. I love how he says maybe. It just sort of taunts her with this, this, op, this opportunity to, to reframe her life according to the callings and purposes of God. Maybe you're here for this reason. Maybe you've come to the palace for such a time as this. Uh, Mordecai's not claiming to be a prophet here. It's another thing I love about the book of Esther. He's not claiming to be a prophet. He's not saying, hey, I'm a prophet. Like Amos, he might be saying, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. And I even work for a not-for-profit organization. Uh, no, Amos didn't say that last part. Mordecai, he's not saying, hey, I'm a prophet. Hey, this is what God's doing in your life. He's saying, hey, I don't know, but maybe, maybe, maybe you've come to the kingdom. Maybe you've come to the palace. Maybe you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. Maybe God has a purpose for you in this season of your life. And maybe it's a very specific purpose. And maybe you can already see it. 
with your eyes. Maybe you can see that purpose in front of you. And friends, I want to say the same thing to you. Maybe you're here for such a time as this. Maybe God has a purpose for you in this season. And maybe it's right in front of you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared good works in advance for you to do. Right? He has good things. He's fashioned and shaped those good works, and they're in front of you. They're before you. And he's fashioned and shaped you because you're his handiwork. And so he's made you and he's made the works in front of you. And he's made them aligned. He's made you specifically, he's specifically designed you for the purposes that he has in your life. Like Esther, maybe you're here for such a time as this. I remember um, when we were in Russia uh, Joe went forward for prayer, and a pastor gave her this verse. He said, hey, maybe you're here for such a time as this. And it was a frustrating season then, immediately after that, because there was a sense of, I know I've got a purpose and a calling right now, but I'm, I'm not fulfilling it. It's, it's not, I'm not living it out right now. And I, I, can, I can sense it. I can feel it. I've, I've got this purpose. I've got this sense of calling, but I'm not actually living it out. And that's, friend, is, friends, is actually a good place to be in. Much better than just Netflix and chill. Yeah. All right? Having a purpose, having a sense of the calling of God in your life, even if you're not living it out, that's much better than being asleep to the purpose of God in your life. Right? That's, much, that's a, a big step along the path. Right? Because then all you need to do is work it out practically in your life. And you push on doors, knock on doors, and you work it out. I said to Joe, hey, if you've got this calling in evangelism, then go and speak to the evangelism guy in our church. And it was like, well, but maybe they're full. Maybe they've got enough evangelists. And I was able to say, well, maybe, they, maybe they're not full. <laughs> maybe they need more evangelists. And she went and chatted with this guy and then ended up leading that evangelism team into unreached people groups um, of the Tatars. And started a ministry that led to um, unreached people, hundreds of unreached people uh, hearing the gospel through her and through many others. And it was just a, a frustration. Hey, I've, I've got a sense of calling. I know that I've got a purpose here. I can, I can feel it. I can sense it. I'm not living it out. And so I'm going to ask and I'm going to seek and I'm going to knock. Because Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So friends, what, you can probably sense I'm leading you on a journey here. The first thing you need is a heart that is open to the, the, the feelings of God in the world. You've ripped your heart. You've said, God, break my heart for the things that break yours. The second thing you need is an awareness of the promises of God in the world. God will fulfill his purpose. He'll fulfill his purpose among the nations and he'll fulfill his purpose in your life. The third thing you need is to realize that God has a specific purpose just for you in this season. Even if we don't fully know what it is. But maybe you're here for such a time as this. And the last thing I want to say from this passage is risk it all. Firstly, rip your heart. Secondly, remember the promises of God. Thirdly, realize that God may have a specific purpose just for you. And fourthly, risk it all. I love it how Esther says, And if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. She says, I'm going. I'm going to the king. 
I'm going to do this. And if I perish, I perish. And what, what I see here is a mortal pragmatism. That's what I'm calling it. Mortal pragmatism. It's like, I'm going to die someday. And so I might as well die doing this. I heard uh, one guy speak who had spent 40 years translating the Bible in Papua New Guinea. And someone asked him, why did you spend 40 years of your life translating the Bible in Papua New Guinea? And he said, well, you've got to use your life for something. Right? Such a simple answer. You've got to use your life for something. You've got to spend it on something. I thought this was a worthy thing to spend it on. This mortal pragmatism, this awareness that I am going to die, and if I die fulfilling the calling of God, then so be it. It's a, it's a realization that comes from the fact that your life is not the most important thing in your life. My life is not the most important thing in my life. And in fact, life becomes richer when we realize that, doesn't it? When we realize that I don't need to just protect myself, just, just, I don't need just safety. If I'm just pursuing safety, well, eventually you're going to die, friends. You'll just have a nice little safe coffin. Just pursuing safety is not the, the purpose of God for us. We need to step out of our comfort zone into the calling of God in our lives. Cinderella needs to throw away the, gold slipper, the glass slippers and put on her combat boots. Something changes when we voluntarily embrace suffering. Something changes. Psychologists study that. They study what it is for somebody to experience suffering that they haven't willingly endured. Right When you, you go to get a needle and you're like, I don't want to get a needle. I don't want to get a needle. And then they put the needle into your arm and you're like, ah. You know, it's horrible, right? Um, I don't like getting needles. But for me, I realized long ago that the pain I experience from the fear is much worse than the pain I experience from the needle. Right? Have you noticed that? Yeah. And so voluntarily saying, I want to get a needle. <laughs> so, to, so to say, I accept the needle. It's just a body. It's just some blood. I'm going to, you know, voluntarily and willingly embracing the suffering changes the way you experience it. That's, psychologists have said that. They, 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 that's, that's a fact. And Esther, what she does here is she voluntarily embraces the calling of God on her life and the suffering that comes with that. She's actually a type of Christ. I believe Esther is the primary Old Testament female type of Christ. What is a type of Christ? A type of Christ is kind of like a, a precursor in the Old Testament to what Jesus will come and do. It's like a prophecy about Jesus. Esther is willing to go to her death for the salvation of her people. And in doing so, she shows us an example of what Jesus himself does as he goes to his death, but also as he calls us, saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's a willingness to die because following Jesus is better than life. Why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of reading it together, studying it together. We thank you for uh, Esther chapter 4 and this this calling that we're, we experience through its, through its, its words, through this, this page of, of the Bible. 
And God, we pray that you would enable us to, we, we ask now, Lord, re, uh, break our hearts for the things that break yours. Lord, we want to be faithful to you in our lives. We, and for that, we need to feel what you feel about the world. And so, Lord, break our hearts for the things that break yours. Open our eyes to what you see. Enable us to be the people who are awake spiritually and not asleep. Lord, enable us to remember your promises, your promises to us, the promises that are good, that, are, that, that we can rely on in our lives, and the promise that you will indeed fulfill your purpose among the nations. Lord, we, we, um, we recognize that you have a purpose for each one of us, that you prepare good works in advance for us to walk in. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that there'd be a, a growing understanding of what that purpose is for us. I pray specifically for our young people who are finishing high school and thinking, what's next for me? God, I pray for your guidance in their lives, in Jesus' name, that they have a strong sense of your purpose. But Father, for everyone, for everyone here, for everyone watching online, that we'd all experience what Esther experienced when Mordecai said to her, maybe you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. And Lord, give us the courage to risk it, to risk it all for you in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Greg is going to come up now and lead us into communion. Well, church family, what a thank you, Tim, for kind of bringing Esther alive to us this morning. And now we get the opportunity to take communion together, something that uh, for me personally is an absolutely beautiful time. I hope you find it that yourself, that we remember that God is not gone, but God is with us. This is his body and his blood, and he, he gives us this to remind us that his presence is with us. And as we take communion today, I invite us to be, to be grateful, to remember the promises of God that is in communion, that our salvation is in him, that his grace is upon us, that his love is over us. But also as we take communion today, we recognize in the blood and in the brokenness of communion that Jesus gave himself up for us. And I guess that question of Esther is, who is God calling me to give myself up for? So they're the things we're going to share as we share communion today. So I'm going to invite you to come and grab the cup and the bread, the wafer, and then take it back to your seat, and then I'll lead us as we share communion together.
invite your church family as we hold the wafer in our hand. We just remember that Jesus gave himself up for us, that he gave his body up for us, that within that act we were forgiven forever, reconciled and restored to the Father, placed forever in his love and in his arms. So as we take the wafer, let's remember the promises of God over our life today. Jesus, where would you pour me out? Where would I be poured out? Thank you for pouring out your blood for me. But where would I be poured out in your name in this world? We take your blood and remember and ask the question. us and we're reminded as we take communion that your presence is always with us. We stand in your promises today and we realize how blessed we are as people. What a rich and beautiful life you have given us in you, through you, with you. And we ask the question, where would you send us to be you? the city of ride where to the people in the orbit of our life we ask today that you would uh, allow us to put on the combat boots that we would not live our lives in a Netflix chilled space but we would live our lives in a kingdom come space show us what the first move or maybe another move into that space would be this week what will we say yes to? Who will we meet that, that we share your kingdom with? So this morning we thank you for the life of Esther. And we ask that what has been shared from that book to us today will not just become something in our mind, but become alive in our hearts and our spirits as we go and bring your kingdom come. And I 
for such a time as this. That's my prayer this week is that as you come across situations in, in your workplace, in, in your home, uh, wherever you might be, that, that God would just put on your heart uh, where he's calling you and that you might ask that question, is it for such a time as this that I'm called? Well, that concludes our service this morning. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of Christ. Amen. <laughs>